extreme weather, livelihoods under threat, water and land migration to cities, housing at risk, livelihoods housing at informal settlements at water stress welcome to breaking paradigms a podcast where we talk about global perspectives on spatial planning in practice and theory by Constance Frech and Sarah Kushi. Today we will talk about urban climate strategies. As we already did one episode which covers climate-related natural issues in the city, we won't reiterate all that. But we warmly recommend to listen to our episode Urban Planning in Times of Climate Change. There we discuss some fundamental approaches to climate change and how it is connected with spatial planning. We'll link that episode in the description. However, today we will focus on the strategic aspect, which is a less hands-on approach to the topic, yet one that has significant impact on our society at large. Let me give you a little context. Strategy and policy are very abstract, and I recently had an intense discussion with a friend about the right approach to the environmental challenges we face today. He said very poignantly that talking about statistics and numbers is so very abstract and most everyday people just can't relate to that. And I wholeheartedly agree. I think the climate movement itself is the best proof for that. And by that I mean ineffective science communication. Science knew where we were going to go decades ago. But the majority of people didn't feel touched by the topic and it didn't reach a critical mass. But as we continued our conversation, he focused on the point that most people find excuses and don't do enough individually. He theorized that most people probably prefer to go to a protest than actually change something in their day-to-day. I realize that I personally believe it is something that needs to go hand-in-hand. There are policy measures which need to guide us especially in large-scale projects or developments, and in our city planning especially. There's a tale of two cities, Uruk and Anuradhapura. We link the TED-Ed video with the whole story in the description. But the gist of it is that one cut down all its trees to increase development and create more density, and the other encouraged protected and nurtured trees. Both these cities go back thousands of years, And if you haven't heard of them, you should stay tuned as we will focus on interesting yet almost unknown ancient settlements in a future episode. But back to the topic. Since both cities were and are very old, they didn't have modern-day irrigation systems. Trees were the best shot at water filtration. And I think you can imagine how the story goes. One city wasn't able to water their agricultural lands appropriately while the other, to this day, is home to a tree which was planted more than 2,000 years ago. But let's start with the basic. What does policy actually mean? A policy is a deliberate system of principles to guide decisions and achieve rational outcomes. A policy is a statement of intent and it's implemented as a procedure or protocol. 
And now we'll take a look on which opportunities cities have to approach climate change on a policy level. First, we're taking a look at the international level and the policy that guide countries in their decision-making when it comes to climate change strategy or policy. The most notable document here is the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, short UNFCCC, Paris Agreement, which has been very prominently featured in the media and you probably heard of it. Aside from setting certain objectives, one of its most notable features is Article 4, which states Each party shall prepare, communicate and maintain successive nationally determined contributions that it intends to achieve. This means that every country creates plans, policies and other forms of contributions in order to attain the goals of the Paris Agreement. All of these plans, policies and other contributions are called nationally determined contributions. As many countries seek guidance to achieving the goals, UN Habitat has created a lot of different publications. They review the state of nationally determined contributions, create so-called thematic guides to address specific needs and they share best practices among other publications. In the 2017 review, Sustainable Urbanization in the Paris Agreement, they published that out of the 164 nationally determined contributions, short NDC, about 68% mention urban keywords. However, less than 16 can be considered as featuring strong urban content. 79 out of 188 countries with urban content in their NDCs focus on urban adaptation and or mitigation measures. The rest doesn't. These measures most prominently concern the topics like energy production, food security and transportation. Topics that we very easily connect to climate change policy. The document in total is really worth a look as it also shows detailed maps and data as well as which countries feature certain topics. It also gives a clear overview on how policies shape actual plans and implementation. If you're interested in the policy documents or other publications we talk about, as always, you can find our sources on our website, breakingparadigms.org slash urban climate strategies, underneath the episode. UN Habitat offers more than 100 publications on its website on the topic of climate change. So it's clear that this topic is a big issue. But as we read through them, we realized paper is patient. As the UN and its agencies, like the UNFCCC or UN Habitat, don't have any binding authority over the member states, they usually try to get everyone to the table and find a result that can reach a consensus. This consensus means that countries are more likely to bind themselves voluntarily to certain agreements, even if there is no one to enforce them. That also means that some documents, like the New Urban Agenda, can be quite ambitious, while others seek the lowest common denominator. The most current publication on the topic is called Addressing Urban and Human Settlement Issues in National Adaptation Plans. Just for clarification, national adaptation plans are part of the nationally determined contributions. 
The document responds specifically to a call by least developed countries expert group of the UNFCCC to help with implementation aspects of the Paris Agreement. Similarly to the pro-poor climate action in informal settlements publication, it is a thematic guide. That means it gives advice to a specific target audience on how to implement a policy, shares possible solutions and helps define issues through science and policy statements. Pro-poor climate action in informal settlements specifically outlines the vulnerability of informal settlements concerning climate change. They define three sides of being vulnerable to climate change. Exposure, sensitivity and adaptive capacity. Exposure includes areas impacted by hazards due to terrain or location, for example, the severity of climate hazards and the frequency of climate hazards. Sensitivity includes quality of housing, physical systems, percentage and distribution of elderly and young, as well as the function and access of services, utilities, etc. And lastly, adaptive capacity This includes mobilizable resources, information and skills, and institutional or social capital. These three sides of vulnerability, exposure, sensitivity and adaptive capacity, can be present in varying degrees, but are usually most present in places of the Global South. The technical guide also outlines a number of measures that can be implemented in communities, like savings groups, collecting census data, among others. But most importantly, this document outlines eight key principles for action. Address development deficits with climate change adaptation and mitigation in mind. And address climate change adaptation and mitigation with development needs in mind. Secondly, downscale vulnerability assessments and responses to city and neighborhood level. Thirdly, incorporate local knowledge in climate change responses. Fourth, strengthen education and training. Fifth, build capacity at the neighborhood level. Sixth, apply a balanced mix of adaptation options. Seventh, scale up action through co-production and collaboration between actors. Eighth, Recognize the opportunities offered by integrating the informal economy into adaptation and mitigation. Guidelines, policies and papers by UN Habitat usually use quite a broad brush, since they have to consider the variety of realities. There are vast differences in how planning is conducted, who conducts it and which tools are available to them. Still, they try to give Specific points, constantly navigating the fine line between being very technical, buzzwordy and addressing actual needs. Aside from an interactive part, which we will talk about in a bit, you can find the publications we recommend on our website at breakingparadigms.org slash urbanclimatestrategies. If you are still studying or just starting out in the field, we specifically recommend Guiding Principles for City Climate Action Planning and Planning for Climate Change, a strategic value-based approach for urban planners. For those already knee-deep in the content, check out plannersforclimate.org. 
You can find all the links in the description on our website. Policies are a declaration of intent and a framework for actions. They are a very important first step, but if they stay on paper, that is not enough. Implementations need to happen on a very local level. Most cities around the world already heavily feel the impact of climate change and most cities introduce declarations how to deal with those climate developments. When reading those documents, one quickly realizes that there are basically two approaches, adaptation and mitigation. Often, the documents already have the underlying attempt in their name. Climate adaptation is taking climate change as irreversible and tries to adapt the city to the new conditions. Climate mitigation, on the other hand, tries to tackle the sources of climate change and produces actions to reverse them. First, we focus on adaptation. To ensure their endurance, new buildings are built for strong wind, rain conditions and heavier snow loads. In some cities, cool places like air-conditioned public institutions or churches are open to the public all day to have so-called cool islands within the city. Air conditioning, in general, is a common adaptation. It is becoming standard equipment in central and northern European buildings, even though traditionally they didn't need them. But air conditioning as an adaptation also holds a contradiction as it contributes the local temperature increase. Additionally, sun shadings are installed to public spaces and squares. The downside of those awnings is the increased heat buildup underneath. Some cities provide drinking fountains to avoid unhealthy dehydration of people in public space. This development is positive since the basic need for water has often been a big business, especially during heat periods. Another cooling facility are spray showers, which create fine rain to cool air and asphalt. However, depending on the local situation, it can be criticized that it consumes a lot of water, which can be problematic in arid climates and during months of water shortage. Aside from heat, flooding is a big threat. Cities close to the sea or to rivers heighten and strengthen their flood protection, but especially along rivers that has an impact on settlements located downstream as well as flora and fauna. The flow increases and becomes even more devastating. Giving space to the water, adding retention areas and letting it seep, if possible, can reduce water-related damage as well, reducing risk of negative impacts. These are just a few examples of climate adaptation and at the end of this part we will give you a little task. But back to the topic. Generally speaking, one has to admit that all those interventions show their effects very quickly and give more or less strong relief from the impacts of climate change. But most of them have in common that they don't last for long and they don't tackle the roots of the problem. Therefore, those climate adaptations probably need to be improved or built up even more as the situation becomes worse. In the long run, more effective than climate adaptation is climate mitigation. Of course, adaptation is not just only a bad thing. Both types of intervention need to be combined to have a short-time relief and a long-term effect against climate change. Mitigating interventions often do not have an immediate effect 
but do contribute to the gradual relief of climate-related hazards. The keyword is climate mainstreaming, meaning a climate-conscious development. One important aspect of that is a climate-friendly subsidization, and on the other hand, taxation to lead economic decisions and societal developments. An important intervention in climate mainstream planning is the improvement of pedestrian, bike infrastructure and public transportation and the reduction of car traffic. Also climate conscious zoning, for example saving green areas or invaluable agricultural land, can do its stint against climate change and mitigate food shortages. Renaturation Desealing and establishing new green areas, like new parks or at least planting more trees on streets, can have a quick cooling effect of the surrounding area and a long-term effect of the city's climate. Climate mainstreaming in building construction happens by the choice of appropriate material like clay instead of steel and glass, roof and facade greening, energy efficiency location, especially concerning shading possibilities, and so on. In informal areas, mitigation can also be started by collecting data and supporting formalization processes, as we talked about in our series on informality. Formalization is not the only option, but it gives government a better insight into the local situations and adds tools like financial support, enforcing building codes, and other measures which informal settlements otherwise can't access as easily. One aspect that touches participatory aspects of planning in intersection with climate mitigation and sometimes adaptation are support groups. In many countries, there are NGOs or civil society organizations which provide immediate help in crisis, while savings or insurance collectives have long and short-term impacts on the community options towards climate mitigation. If you want to find out more about climate strategies of countries of the Global South, some of the UN-habited papers and a paper about the cities of Durban in South Africa and Quito in Ecuador discuss that at length and are among the resources linked on the website. After getting to know all those policies and adaptations cities established, you might wonder how it looks around your place, and so do we. Hence, we created a map to locate pictures, comments, and ideas of urban climate strategies. On our website, breakingparadigms.org slash urbanclimatestrategies, underneath this episode, you can find a world map. Think of your surroundings or places you lived before or visited. Are there spots which become extremely hot in the summer? Are there cool oases in the city? Are there places you feel they'd be predestined to become climate adapted? Are there facilities or adaptations that you see critically? Mark those places on your map. You can add pictures, text, recordings, links, drawings, etc. Nearly anything you can think of. Check out what places are already marked. Do you know those locations? Let's all together create a map of urban climate strategies. Join us at breakingparadigms.org slash urbanclimatestrategies. To conclude, we want to send you away with the eight points of UN Habitat's guiding principles for city climate action planning. 
all city climate actions should be ambitious, inclusive, fair, comprehensive and integrated, relevant, actionable, evidence-based, transparent and verifiable. We hope you enjoyed this episode and look forward to your posts on the map. And we want to thank the HTU Wien for supporting Curriculum Extended. If you want to support us, snag yourself a t-shirt or mug at our online store breakingparadigms.org slash shop. This was Breaking Paradigms by Constanze Frech and Sarah Couchet. Be part of the conversation. If you like what we do, consider supporting us and join our Patreon community. Connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and at breakingparadigms.org. Content and editing by Constanze Frech and Sarah Couchet. Sound design by Didac Barroso and Florian Frey.